be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading How Robin Hood Came to Be an Outlaw from The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. In merry England in the time of old, when good King Henry II ruled the land, there lived within the green glades of Sherwood Forest, near Nottingham Town, a famous outlaw whose name was Robin Hood. No archer ever lived that could speed a grey goose shaft with such skill and cunning as his. Nor were there ever such yeomen as the seven score merry men that roamed with him through the greenwood shades. Right merrily they dwelled within the depths of Sherwood Forest, suffering neither care nor want, but passing the time in merry games of archery or bouts of cudgel play, living upon the king's venison, washed down with draughts of ale of October brewing. Not only Robin himself, but all the band were outlaws, and dwelled apart from other men. Yet they were beloved by the country people round about, for no one ever came to Jolly Robin for help in time of need, and went away again with an empty fist. And now I will tell you how it came about that Robin Hood fell afoul of the law. When Robin was a youth of eighteen, stout of sinew and bold of heart, the sheriff of Nottingham proclaimed a shooting match and offered a prize of a buck of ale to whoever should shoot the best shaft in Nottinghamshire. Now, quoth Robin, will I go too, for fain would I draw a string for the bright eyes of my lass and a butt of good October brewing. So up he got and took his good stout yew-bow, and a score or more of broad cloth-yard arrows, and started off from Loxley Town 
through Sherwood Forest to Nottingham. It was at the dawn of day in the merry May time, when hedgerows are green and flowers bedeck the meadows, daisies pied and yellow cuckoo buds and fair primroses all along the briery hedges. When apple buds blossom and sweet birds sing, the lark at dawn of day, the throstlecock and cuckoo, when lads and lasses look upon each other with sweet thoughts, when busy housewives spread their linen to bleach upon the bright green grass. At this, Robin grew right mad. Hark ye, said he, yonder at the glade's end, I see a herd of deer, even more than three score rods distant. I'll hold you twenty marks that, by leave of Our Lady, I caused the best heart among them to die. Now done, cried he who had spoken first, and here are twenty marks. I wager that thou causest no beast to die, with or without the aid of Our Lady. Then Robin took his good yew-bow in his hand, and placing the tip at his instep, he strung it right deftly. Then he knocked a broad cloth-yard arrow, and, raising the bow, drew the grey goose feather to his ear. The next moment, the bowstring rang, and the arrow sped down the glade as a sparrowhawk skims in the northern wind. High leaped the noblest heart of the herd, only to fall dead, reddening the green path with his heart's blood. Ha! cried Robin. How likest thou that shot, good fellow? I wot the wager were mine, and it were three hundred pounds. Then all the foresters were filled with rage, and he who had spoken first and had lost the wager was more angry than all. Nay, cried he, the wager is none of thine, and get thee gone straight away, or by all the saints of heaven, I'll baste thy sides until thou wilt ne'er be able to walk again. Knowest thou not 
said another, that thou hast killed the king's deer, and by the laws of our gracious lord and sovereign king Henry, thine ears should be shaven close to thy head. Catch him, cried a third. Nay, said a fourth, let him e'en go because of his tender years. Never a word said Robin Hood, but he looked at the foresters with a grim face, then, turning on his heels, strode away from them down the forest path. But his heart was bitterly angry, for his blood was hot and youthful and prone to boil. Now, well would it have been for him who had first spoken, had he left Robin Hood alone. But his anger was hot, both because the youth had gotten the better of him, and because of the deep draughts of ale that he had been quaffing. So, of a sudden, without any warning, he sprang to his feet and seized upon his bow and fitted it to a shaft. Eh, cried he, and I'll hurry thee anon. And he sent the arrow whistling after Robin. It was well for Robin Hood that the same forester's head was spinning with ale, or else he would never have taken another step. As it was, the arrow whistled within three inches of his head. Then he turned around and quickly drew his own bow and sent an arrow back in return. Ye say I was no archer, cried he aloud, but say so now again. The shaft flew straight, the archer fell forward with a cry, and lay on his face upon the ground, his arrows rattling about him from out of his quiver. The grey goose shaft wet with his heart's blood. Then, before the others could gather their wits about them, Robin Hood was gone into the depths of the greenwood. Some started after him, but not with much heart, for each feared to suffer the death of his fellow. So presently they all came and lifted the dead man up and bore him away to Nottingham Town. Meanwhile, Robin Hood ran through the green wood. 
gone was all the joy and brightness from everything, for his heart was sick within him, and it was borne in upon his soul that he had slain a man. Alas, cried he, thou hast found me an anchor that will make thy wife to ring. I would that thou hast ne'er said one word to me, or that I had never passed thy way, or e'en that my right forefinger had been stricken off ere that this had happened. In haste I smote, but grief I saw at leisure. And then, even in his trouble, he remembered the old saw that what is done is done, and the egg cracked cannot be cured. And so he came to dwell in the greenwood that was to be his home for many years to come, never again to see the happy days with the lads and lasses of sweet Loxley town, for he was outlawed, not only because he had killed a man, but also he had poached upon the king's deer, and two hundred pounds were set upon his head as a reward for whoever would bring him to the court of the king. Now the sheriff of Nottingham swore that he himself would bring this knave, Robin Hood, to justice, and for two reasons. First, because he wanted the two hundred pounds, and next, because the forester that Robin Hood had killed was of kin to him. But Robin Hood lay hidden in Sherwood Forest for one year, and in that time there gathered around him many others like himself, cast out from other folk for this cause and for that. Some had shot deer in hungry winter time, when they could get no other food, and had been seen in the act by the foresters, but had escaped, thus saving their ears. Some had been turned out of their inheritance, that their farms might be added to the king's land in Sherwood Forest. Some had been despoiled by a great baron, or a rich abbot, or a powerful esquire, all, for one cause or another, had come to Sherwood Forest to escape wrong and oppression. So, in all that year, five score or more good stout yeomen gathered about Robin Hood, 
and chose him to be their leader and chief. Then they vowed that even as they themselves had been despoiled, they would despoil their oppressors, whether baron, abbot, knight, or squire, and that from each they would take that which had been wrung from the poor by unjust taxes, or land rents, or in wrongful fines. But to the poor folk they would give helping hand in need and trouble, and would return to them that which had been unjustly taken from them. Besides this, they swore never to harm a child, nor to wrong a woman, be she maid, wife, or widow, so that, after a while, when the people began to find that no harm was meant to them, but that money or food came in time of want to many a poor family, they came to praise Robin and his merry men, and to tell many tales of him and of his doings in Sherwood Forest, for they felt him to be one of themselves. Up rose Robin Hood one merry morning, when all the birds were singing blithely among the leaves, and up rose all his merry men, each fellow washing his head and hands in the cold brown brook that leapt laughing from stone to stone. Then said Robin, For fourteen days have we seen no sport, so now I will go abroad to seek adventures forthwith. But tarry ye, my merry men all, here in the green wood, only see that ye mind well my core. Three blasts upon the bugle horn I will blow in my hour of need. Then come quickly, for I shall want your aid. So saying, he strode away through the leafy forest glades until he had come to the verge of Sherwood. There he wandered for a long time, through highway and byway, through dingly bell and forest skirts. Now he met a fair buxom lass in a shady lane, and each gave each other a merry word and passed their way. Now he saw a fair lady upon an ambling pad, to whom he doffed his cap, and who bowed sedately in return to the fair youth. Now he saw a fat monk on a pannier-laden ass. Now a gallant knight 
with spear and shield and armour that flashed brightly in the sunlight. Now a page clad in crimson, and now a stout burger from good Nottingham town, pacing along with serious footsteps. All these sights he saw, but adventure found he none. At last he took a road by the forest skirts, a by-path that dipped toward a broad, pebbly stream spanned by a narrow bridge made of a log of wood. As he drew nigh this bridge, he saw a tall stranger coming from the other side. Thereupon Robin quickened his pace, as did the stranger likewise, each thinking to cross first. Now stand thou back, quoth Robin, and let the better man cross first. Nay, answered the stranger, then stand back shine own self, for the better man I wet I am. That will be presently seen, quoth Robin, and meanwhile stand thou where thou art, or else by the bright brow of Saint Alfreda, I will show thee right good Nottingham play with a cloth-yard shaft betwixt thy ribs. Now, quoth the stranger, I will tan thy hide till it be as many colours as a beggar's cloak, if thou darest so much as to touch a string of that same bow that thou holdst in thy hands. Thou Pratest like an ass, said Robin, for I could send this shaft clean through thy proud heart before a curtail friar could say grace over a roast goose at Michael's mustide. And thou prayest like a coward, answered the stranger, for thou standest there with the good yew bow to shoot at my heart, while I have naught in my hand but a plain blackthorn staff wherewith to meet thee. Now, quoth Robin, by the faith of my heart, never have I had a coward's name in all my life. I will lay by my trusty bow, and eat my arrow, and if thou darest abide my coming, I will go and cut a cudgel to test thy manhood withal. Eh, marry, that will I abide thy coming, and joyously too, quoth the stranger. 
whereupon he leaned sturdily upon his staff to await Robin. Then Robin Hood stepped quickly to the cover side and cut a good staff of grown oak straight without new and six feet in length and came back trimming away the tender stems from it while the stranger waited for him leaning upon his staff and whistling as he gazed round about. Robin observed him fervently as he trimmed his star, measuring him from top to toe, from out the corner of his eye, and thought that he had never seen a lustier or stouter man. Tall was Robin, but taller was the stranger by a head and a neck for he was seven feet in height. Broad was Robin across the shoulders, but broader was the stranger by twice the breadth of a palm, while he measured at least an ell around the waist. Nevertheless, said Robin to himself, I will baste thy hide right merrily my good fellow, then aloud, Lo, here is my good star, lusty and tough, now wait my coming at thou darest, and meet me at thou fearest not. Then we will fight until one or the other of us tumble into the stream by dint of blows. Marry, that meeteth my whole heart, cried the stranger, twirling his staff above his head, betwixt his fingers and thumb, until it whistled again. Never did the knights of Arthur's round table meet in a stouter fight than did these two. In a moment Robin stepped quickly upon the bridge where the stranger stood. First he made a feint, and then delivered a blow at the stranger's head that, had it met its mark, would have tumbled him speedily into the water. But the stranger turned the blow right deftly, and in return gave one as stout, which Robin also turned as the stranger had done. So they stood, each in his place, neither moving a finger's breadth back for one good hour, and many blows were given and received by each in that time till here and there were sore bones and bumps, yet neither thought of crying enough, nor seemed likely to fall off the bridge. Now and then they stopped to rest, and each thought that he never had seen 
in all his life before such a hand at quarter-staff. At last Robin gave the stranger a blow upon the ribs that made his jacket smoke like a damp straw thatch in the sun. So shrewd was the stroke that the stranger came within a hair's breadth of falling off the bridge, but he regained himself right quickly, and, by a dexterous blow, gave Robin a crack on the crown that caused the blood to flow. Then Robin grew mad with anger and smote with all his might at the other. But the stranger warded the blow, and once again thwacked Robin, and this time so fairly that he fell heels over head into the water, as the queen pin falls in a game of bowls. And where art thou now, my good lad? shouted the stranger, roaring with laughter. Oh, in the flood and floating adown with the tide, cried Robin, nor could he forbear laughing himself at his sorry plight. Then, gaining his feet, he waded to the bank, the little fish speeding hither and thither, all frightened at his splashing. Give me thy hand, cried he, when he had reached the bank. I must needs own thou art a brave and a sturdy soul, and, withal, a good stout stroke with the cudgels. By this and by that, my hummeth like to a hive of bees on a hot June day. Then he clapped his horn to his lips, and winded a blast that went echoing sweetly down the forest path. Eh, marry, quoth he again, thou art a tall lad, and eke a brave one, for ne'er, I bow, is there a man betwixt here and Canterbury town, could do the like to me that thou hast done. And thou, quoth the stranger, laughing, Takest thy cudgel like a brave heart and a stout yeoman. But now the distant twigs and branches rustled with the coming of men, and suddenly a score or two of good stout yeomen, all clad in Lincoln green, burst from out the covert with merry Will Stutley at their head. Good master, cried Will, how is this? Truly thou art all wet from head to foot, 
and that to thy very skin. Why, Mary, answered jolly Robin, you stout fellow hath tumbled me neck and crop into the water, and hath given me a drubbing beside. Then shall he not go without a ducking, and eke a drubbing himself, cried Will Stutley. Have at him, lads. Then Will and the score of yeomen leaped upon the stranger, but thou they sprang quickly, they found him ready, and felt him strike right and left with his stout staff, so that, though he went down with press of numbers, some of them rubbed cracked crowns before he was overcome. Nay, forbear, cried Robin, laughing until his sore sides ached again. He is a right good man and true, and no harm shall befall him. Now hark ye, good youth, and wilt thou stay with me and be one of my band? Three suits of Lincoln green shall thou have each year, beside forty marks in fee, and share with us whatsoever good shall befall us. Thou shalt eat sweet venison, and quaff the stoutest ale, and mine own good right-hand man shalt thou be, for never did I see such a cudgel player in all my life before. Speak, wilt thou be one of my good merry men? That know I not, quoth the stranger surlily, for he was angry at being so tumbled about. If ye handled ye bow and apple shaft no better than ye do oaken cudgel, I wot ye are not fit to be called ye omen in my country. But if there be any man here that can shoot a better shaft than I, then will I bethink me of joining with you. Now by my faith, said Robin, thou art a right saucy violet, sirrah. Yet I will stoop to thee as I never stooped to man before. Good Stutley, cut thou a fair white piece of bark four fingers in breadth, and set it four score yards distance on yonder oak. Now, stranger, hit that fairly with the grey goose shaft and call thyself an archer. Ay, marry, that I will, answered he. Give me a good stout bow and a fair broad arrow, and if I hit it not, strip me and beat me blue with bowstrings. 
Then he chose the stoutest bow among them all, next to Robin's own, and a straight grey goose shaft, well feathered and smooth, and stepping to the mark, while all the band, sitting or lying upon the greensward, watched to see him shoot. He drew the arrow to his cheek and loosened the shaft right deftly, sending it so straight down the path that it clove the mark in the very centre. Aha! cried he. Mend thou that if thou canst, while even the yeomen clapped their hands at so fair a shot. That is a keen shot indeed, quoth Robin. Mend it I cannot, but mar it I may, perhaps. Then, taking up his own good stout bow, and knocking at arrows with care, he shot with his very greatest skill. Straight flew the arrow, and so true that it lit fairly upon the stranger's shaft, and split it into splinters. Then all the yeomen leaped to their feet and shouted for joy that their master had shot so well. Now by the lusty yew bow of good saint withhold, cried the stranger, that is a shot indeed, and never saw I the like in all my life before. Now truly will I be thy man henceforth, and for I. Good Adam Bell was a fair shot, but never shot he so. Then have I gained a right good man this day, quoth jolly Robin. What name goest thou by, good fellow? Men call me Little John whence I came, answered the stranger. Then Will Stutley, who loved a good jest, spoke up. Nay, fair little stranger, said he, I like not thy name, and fain would I have it otherwise. Little art thou indeed, and small of bone and sinew. Therefore shalt thou be christened Little John, and I will be thy godfather. Then Robin Hood and all his merry band laughed aloud until the stranger began to grow angry. And thou make a jest of me, quoth he to Will Stutley. Thou wilt have score bone and little pay, and that in short season. Nay, good friend, said Robin Hood 
bottle thine anger, for the name fitteth thee well. Little John shall thou be called henceforth, and little John shall it be. So come, my merry men, we will prepare a christening feast for this fair infant. So turning their back upon the stream, they plunged into the forest once more, through which they traced their steps till they reached the spot where they dwelled in the depths of the woodland. There had they built huts of back and branches of trees, and made couches of sweet rushes, spread over with skin of fallow deer. Here stood a great oak tree, with branches spreading broadly around, beneath which was a seat of green moss, where Robin Hood was wont to sit at feast, and at merry-making with his stout men about him. Here they found the rest of the band, some of whom had come in with a brace of fat does. Then they all built great fires, and after a time roasted the does and branches of barrels of humming ale. Then, when the feast was ready, they all sat down. But Robin placed little John at his right hand, for he was henceforth to be the second in the band. Then when the feast was done, Will Stutley spoke up. It is now time, I ween, to christen our bonny baby. Is it not so, merry boys? And I, I, cried all, laughing till the woods echoed with mirth. Then seven sponsors shall we have, quoth Will Stutley, and hunting among all the band, he chose the seven stoutest men of them all. Now by Saint Dustin, cried little John, springing to his feet, more than one of you shall rue it and you lay finger upon me. But without a word they all ran upon him at once seizing him by the legs and arms, and holding him tightly in spite of his struggles, and they bore him forth with all stood around to see the sport. Then one came forth who had been chosen to play the priest, because he had a bald crown, and in his hand he carried a brimming pot, of ale. Now, who bringeth this babe? asked he right soberly. That I do, answered Will Stutley. 
and what name callest thou him? Little John call I him. Now, little John, quoth the mock priest, thou hast not lived here to fall, but only got thee along through the world, by henceforth thou wilt live indeed. When thou livest not thou wast called John Little, but now that thou dost live indeed, Little John shalt thou be called. So christen I thee. And at these last words, he emptied the pot of ale upon little John's head. Then all shouted with laughter as they saw the good brown ale stream over little John's beard and trickle from his nose and chin, while his eyes blinked with the smart of it. At first he was of a mind to be angry, but found he could not, because the others were so merry, so he, too, laughed with the rest. Then Robin took his sweet, pretty babe, clothed him all anew from top to toe in Lincoln green, and gave him a good stout bow, and so made him a member of the merry band. And thus it was that Robin Hood became outlawed. Thus a band of merry companions gathered about him, and thus he gained his right-hand man, Little John. And so the prologue ends. And now I will tell you how the Sheriff of Nottingham three times sought to take Robin Hood, and how he failed each time.